So we're going to go ahead and get started, and um, you know we'll probably um, that way we'll try to try to you know let you have plenty of time for questions and answers, which uh, at least we'll have plenty of time for questions. I'm not sure we'll have answers. These two will have answers. I'll have, I'll have questions. So um, Gary Hamilton, for those of you who don't know, Gary Hamilton was going to be leading our time today, but uh, uh, his wife uh, turned up sick, so he he can't make it. So he's not going to be here. And basically what he's going to be talking about is heart attitudes. And so how many of you are familiar with heart attitudes? Many? Huh? Some? Yeah. Some people kind of, kind of sort of. Heart attitudes, really what those are in the ministry is kind of a uh, summation of a lot of the one another's of Scripture, where the one another's of Scripture really talk about, you know, how we should treat one another. But these are like, okay, if you're going to function in a group setting and you're going to do well, and you're going to be able to get things done without, uh, you know, without trampling on people and without um, uh, things going haywire all the time. How do you do that? And so what we've uh, done, there was a guy named Harold Bullock, and years ago he put together uh, a list of hard attitudes, which is kind of the synthesis of one another's. And basically there's five. So for those of you that don't know, um, the first one is, Putting the goals and interests of others ahead of your own. Uh, the second one is living an honest and open life. Then the third one is being willing to give and receive scriptural correction. And the fourth one, uh, being uh, committed to maintaining clear relationships. And then the fifth one, following spiritual leadership within scriptural guidelines. And what you're going to find is, and we'll go back over those, so in case you miss something, I'm not worried about that. We'll, we'll come back to that. But what those really do, if you begin to look at this, uh, it creates um, the uh, workings of a culture within a group to where you don't have so many different things that tend to fracture and fragment and, and tear things up. Like, you know... Um, putting the interest of others out of your own. You'll find out, one of the things you're going to find out as you look at these is these not only apply to um, campus ministry where you are, they'll apply in church, they'll apply in your marriage, they'll apply in family life, they'll apply at work, they'll apply across the board. And so like if you go to work and your goal is to put the goals and the interest of your boss or those that you're working with ahead of yours to where you're really thinking about them. And in fact, if you go to work and you are the boss and you're really thinking, okay, how can I really um, put the interest of my employees up here? How can I take care of them? Creates a totally different work environment. Creates, you know, totally different. If you're in a marriage and the wife is thinking, how can I put his interest ahead of mine? Husband's thinking the same thing. Total different environment there, you know. So it, it applies across every area of life. And then what you're also going to find is that with it, if you begin to put these into practice, that they they just um, how would I say it? They just they just make life a lot sweeter. Like living an honest and open life. If you really want to grow, if you want help, there's not really like a way to microwave spiritual growth. You can't really do that. I mean, the only things that speed up spiritual growth are are really humility and teachability. I mean, otherwise it doesn't speed up. You know, it's more of a crockpot process. But what you will find is that you won't get help and you won't be able to grow more if, in fact, 
you don't, you know, you're not open and honest with somebody that's trying to help you. So each one of these uh, are are very, very important for um, creating a culture in which people can grow and thrive and and develop like that. So what we're going to do is just kind of look at these a little bit one by one. Um, putting putting the goals and interests of others ahead of your own. How is it? Let me ask you. Um, first of all, you know, how is it that you? have seen that worked out as you've tried to do that. For those of you that are familiar with that and you've tried to do it, how have you seen that work out well for you in your life? How have you seen putting the interests of others ahead of your own and putting that into practice and living that out? How have you seen that work out well for you in life as you've done it? Does that make sense? Great. Before I came to college, um, I got to introduce him to Christ, and we had several times where we prayed together. And he told me before I left that I gave him a lot of assurance by introducing him to Jesus, and now he like prays. Oh, that's great. Did you get? Were you guys able to hear all that? That's great. That's great. Others? Others that you've seen? Yeah. It's easy to do. The other day I gave this guy who's my friend a ride to the airport and um, he didn't tell me like at what time at first, but then he was like he has to be there at six forty five. And then I was like, So when should we like leave? And he said like around five, so I woke up at four forty and I really didn't want to do it. But <laughs> I told myself like it was just like the beginning of spring break, so I didn't really have much to do and I thought that you know, if God wants me to do this for him, I will, but I would rather not. <laughs> but I, was, I, was, I kept on thinking, like, I'm doing this to serve God, and, you know, if God is trying to get something out of this, I hope, you know, it's good at the end, but mm. I, I yeah. did it, and waking up that early. Mm. <laughs> yeah, most college students don't realize there is an AM that comes before a PM time, so it's, it, it actually works that way, so. It's amazing. So that was certainly not in my interest, <laughs> but I did it anyway. I understand. Anybody else? 
I've seen, yeah. Well, boy, the example you, you see of that is in Scripture, like uh, Christ himself in Philippians 2, where uh, Paul comes along and says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you see is with him, he, he consistently took and put our interest ahead of theirs, which is the whole reason that he came to earth in the first place. You know, I mean, he didn't have to do that, you know, but, you know, he was putting our interests first. And so when we seek to live a life like him, when we seek to, you know, kind of uh, follow in his, follow in his footsteps, then that calls upon us to begin to put this very thing into practice. Let me ask uh, Bob and Chuck things that they would add to this and uh, talking about this. Alice. <clears throat> Romans 15, I got one here somewhere. Uh, Romans 15 comes to mind. One and two it says, uh, uh, Therefore we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are, without, mm -hmm. who are weak and without strength, and not just to please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. Romans 15, one and two. And, uh, you know, that, that those are the choices you can either please your neighbor for his good or you can do what pleases you that's your vote mm -hmm. so what which way do you go and and paul says you know the, we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength and not just to please ourselves mm -hmm. and that's the admonition and but that's the choice mm -hmm. are you thinking about you or are you trying to help others mm -hmm. I have a really close friend that uh, has social uh, uh, needs, and she just isn't able to, she doesn't pick up on things, and so she doesn't express thank you. She, it's just not a part of her capacity, I guess you'd say. And, uh, you know, to serve her, which, Sandy and I have done a whole lot without any 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 um, response of thanks so much or wow I really needed that I'm glad you did that for me or you know not having any of that it it really reminds me I think what Chuck and Neil were saying you know that the servant uh, serves out of love 
and not out of anticipating positive vibes back because in this case uh, it just has never happened time and time and time again and it just helps clarify the purity of my heart and <laughs> so I remember one time when I was in my last couple months of college I was uh, I only were ta was taking six hours so I was uh, working with the campus ministry there. They had a, a building. And, and uh, so one time I called Max and, and asked him if he need anything done around his house. And he said, yeah, and my yard needs mowing. So I thought I was so cool going over and mowing Max's yard. And his wife, Sandra, invited me in for iced tea or lemonade, I think, afterwards. And I felt so good about myself because I served. And then I, I drove back over to the campus center and I happened to look out behind it and there was a guy named uh, James Redeker out there digging a line down to the sewer. And he had, uh, he had work shorts on, a grubby t-shirt, crummy t uh, tennis shoes. And he, no one was even aware of what he was doing, and that he was doing sewer digging work with no thanks to it. And, it, and this all happened within about a two-hour period, uh, my mowing the yard and getting the uh, lemonade and going over there. And I was so uh, rebuked, rebuked in my heart that I really didn't have that heart of the servant that I knew God wanted me to. Chuck, I know uh, one time you guys had a um, crew up at Cal Poly and uh, you had one of the gals whose dad was uh, really, you know, uh, antagonistic towards things. And tell me a little bit about that story. Yeah, the gal's name was Anita Hill. She was a wonderful gal, loved God, served God, but her dad was a jerk. Oh, my oh. oh yeah. You you want to record this? Huh? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the uh, the gal in our ministry was a gal named Anita Hill, and just a wonderful gal. Loved God, uh, served people, great attitude all the time. But her dad was very antagonistic and uh, thought uh, really lowly of the, Christ the Christian faith and the Christians that he knew. He didn't have any respect for them at all, and so. Anita mentioned one day that her dad had been, there was, he had about 800 acres of cotton. This was below Fresno. And he had 800 acres of cotton in one section. And he was irrigating it with irrigation uh, pipe and stems that were sticking up every 20 feet on centers for over 800. Now, an acre is 43,000 square feet, 43,560 to be exact. But he had this humongous area and these sprinkler heads sticking up every 20 feet over the whole area and uh, he was getting water from the central valley water system but his sprinkler heads were too big and they were putting out too much water so he needed to change every sprinkler head and there, there were thousands of them and he was one man so 
Anita mentioned that to me, and I said, well, why don't we just go over and help him? So we, mm-hmm. we saddled up about eight guys, and we took off, and we drove over. And to show you what a jerk he was, we got over there that night, and we slept in the backyard <laughs> on the dirt. I mean, he said, well, you can sleep out there. So we, so we went out and slept in the dirt. And we, we got up the next morning, and his wife cooked us breakfast, and we took off for the cotton fields. And we worked, and we worked, and we worked, and we're bent over, and you go and you unscrew, and you take out of your sack one, and you put in, and you screw it back down, and you walk 20 feet, and you do it again. And you're bent over the whole time, unscrewing, and unscrewing, and then another one, to put, and screwing. I mean, it was a laborious, every, every one took two or three minutes, mm-hmm. every, every 20 feet. And uh, we worked, uh, I mean, I told the men, I said, listen, because we were just exhausted. I mean, our backs were killing us. And I told the men, I said, listen, your, your mind, your, your body will always quit. It, I mean, you will faint before your, your body will hurt itself. Your mind, your mind will faint and you will fall out before your, your body will hurt itself. So just when you faint, fall out. Okay, but don't you quit until you do. Don't you quit until you faint. And we kept going, and we kept going, and we kept going, and we kept going. And we, were, we didn't get through, but we just, we just knocked out this human. But his dad, not involved, he was watching us. He, did, he wasn't doing, he was watching us. We went home, and I just exhausted. And his mom, his, his, his wife cooked us a you know, sandwich or so. We went out and slept in the, on the dirt again. Got up the next morning, went back out, and we finished the job. And we did every single head and every single sprinkler in that 100, 800 acres of cotton. Mm. And, uh, and so Anita, told, and so then we got in our cars and went back. He didn't pay us a penny, didn't give us anything, anything, didn't even offer. And we went back, and Anita told us the next time I chatted with her, he said, my dad was stunned. He thought that here's these little weenie cookie, you know, Christians coming over, weak, anemic, uh, sweet, and, and, and that's, all, that's what he was about to get. And he was stunned that we worked as hard as we did, as long as we did, and did as good a job as we did. Mm-hmm. But he, he just was, his mind was blown. She said he, he, he talks about that all the time. But we did it for Anita, but we did it for him. Mm-hmm. And we, we just, uh, we, you know, we wanted him to know that Christians are the best. They, they, you know, they, they're the most reliable. You can't find better people than Christians. Your workers can't be better than Christians. And we wanted him to know that. Mm-hmm. And we just knocked out. I mean, we knocked ourselves crazy. But it, it, and it, and it worked. It worked. It, it just knocked him off. He couldn't believe it. Changed his whole his mind toward what Christians really are. And helped his daughter. He was a lot more respectful of his daughter and her walk with Christ mm-hmm. from that point. But that's, uh, that's a great story. I don't know if the guy ever came to Christ. I don't know. But uh, I, I know one thing. He got a good taste of what Christians are. There you go. And they are the best. So that's one of the things you want to do. You know, you always want to look, try to figure out, okay, how can you put the interest of others ahead of your own? And if you have the mindset, you know, I mean, he tells us the way you do that, you have to adopt the same mindset that Jesus had. You, that's how you do it. You know, um, sometimes it's real easy to think, well, yeah, but, you know, <clears throat> is that really, like, I mean, shouldn't we kind of expect something back? Well, you know, X, what is it? Um, no, what is it? So you also, Luke, Luke 17, 10? 
Luke yes, seventeen so ten. Yeah. So you also, when you have done everything you were told okay. to do, should simply say, "We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty." So I mean, you just have this mindset that says, "You know what? I don't have to. I don't have to get patted on the back or get a cupcake because I did something. You know what? I, I did it because that's what I should do, because that's what's right, and because that's what Jesus would do." And so you just live out of that lifestyle. The second uh, hard attitude is really living an honest and open life. And men and women, um, I will tell you, if you have, a, a, if if you want real help, you've got to do this. You know, if you went to the doctor, just think about it, if you went to the doctor and you said, "Yeah, I, I need some. I, I'm really in pain. I need some help." And he goes, "Where are you hurt?" And you say, "I'd rather not talk about it." <laughs> How much help do you think you would get? I mean, he'd say, you know, you, 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 need the, you need the mental doctor, not me. I mean, what is your problem? You know, I mean, well, you know, yet that's what we do a lot of times. We'll come in and, you know, people will be kind of like, you know, well, I kind of would like some help. But I don't really want to talk about the thing or I don't want to really be honest about the thing. And it's like, well, good luck. You know, if, if you really want to walk with God, then not only with some peers that you run with, but with some folks that are speaking into your life, one of the things you have to do is you have to be willing to be open and honest. And, you know, because it's like walking into a mall. When you walk into a mall and you look at one of those little funny maps that they have right there and you're trying to figure out, um, you know, where are certain places, what's the first thing you look at? On there, you look at, where are you right here? It shows a little place on the map. You are here. Because if you don't know where you are, you have absolutely no idea how to get to the place you, you want to be. And somebody that's trying to help you, if they don't know accurately where you are, they're never going to be able to help you get to the place you want to be. So you, you've got to be open and honest like that. And, and that will be game changer for you. How have you guys, I'll ask Chuck and Bob, how, how have you guys seen that with folks you're working with and how have you seen that work its way out practically for them? I think, um, including myself, that, I think including myself that uh, the, the reason that we, we don't live open and honestly is we fear rejection. That if you really know me, you won't like me. Mm. And so we fear that rejection. And so we uh, we live a we live a um, closet life, or we live a uh, kind of a secret life. That I hope you don't find out who I really am. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not sure what the answer to that is, except for the fact that uh, you cannot let that bleed over into what God thinks of you, mm -hmm. and uh, because God knows everything about you, mm -hmm. and He totally. Uh, cares for you and loves you and wants your very best. Uh, mm -hmm. He has a, he does not have a negative thought towards you, knowing everything about you. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, recognizing and coming to grip with that will enable you to come to you know to be more open and honest um, with others. Mm -hmm. uh, God's got your back. Um, God's on your side. Uh, God's looking out for you. And I think just the, that, that knowledge, 
And here again, uh, the, th the most important thing in your life is what do you believe? And the, what you believe is the most determinative thing in your life. Mm -hmm. and, and what you believe about God is the most determinative thing of, what, of the things that you believe. Mm -hmm. And so what, what do you think about God often enables you to be the person that God would have you to be? Um, but but that's the most that's the thing that I think that we need to help people is how does God view me? What does God think about me? And I think that enabled that that just is so freeing and so liberating when I realize that, that what God thinks about me. Now I'm not so concerned about what man thinks about me. We're really fighting an uphill uh, battle on that because our culture just is so insistent on us believing we don't have enough or we're, we're not good enough or, you know, and we're bombarded with that. And so we have to counter the messages that uh, we have. And frankly, a lot of parents uh, did not really know how to affirm their children well. So some of you have not had really good models in that and it's not that they didn't love you, but their their parents grew up in the, in the, in the depression era, and you just pick yourself up by the bootstraps and go out and do it, and no complaining at all, and uh, and so and that's such that's a very noble uh, thing, and people made it back then because they didn't give up, as Chuck was talking about the putting in the sprinkler heads, yeah. The, the downside of that, though, is sometimes uh, we miss the message that God wants to give us, and, and our identity is formed by the message that the world is giving us. And so you, you have to counter that, and that's really hard. Uh, you know, I, my parents got along really good, but I never heard them talk real openly and honestly with each other. And I think they had a really good marriage. It just, that was just not a topic of, that was not a conversation that they had. And so I grew up, grew up not seeing that modeled at all. And the discipleship program that I came out of, which was incredibly rich and full, and God is loaded up for making disciples, which I still am doing, you know, probably didn't have that inner honesty as the question. What was the question? Yeah, being honest and open. So we kind of held back a little bit on, you know, here's my th thought life struggles today. And uh, it, it just wasn't talked about much. And so I've had to personally kind of grow into that myself. You know, the, the third one amongst the hard attitudes is one, guys, that it's interesting. It's, you know, being willing to give and receive scriptural correction. And one of the things I found out is usually people are, they like to polarize. They kind of like to go to one side or the other. Like there's some guys, they just really like to give correction. They're like, let me do it. You know, I'll correct them. You know, and uh, I mean, they're just kind of, that's the way they're wired. And then there's other guys that they're like, oh, I don't want to correct anybody, you know, I, but 
you know, if someone wants to tell me something, you know, you know, and they'll, they'll just, you know, kind of like, I'll, I'll, I'll just take it, you know, and I think the reality is neither one of those are good positions. Mm-hmm. You want to have a mindset of, you know what, everybody, when they come into the kingdom, gets a whistle. And if somebody steps out of bounds, they can blow the whistle. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be like, you know, the leader to blow the whistle. They don't have to be like some big shot to blow the whistle. They don't have to be, you know, super spiritual. They, everybody gets a whistle. And so, you know, what you want to do is you you don't want to just walk around, you know, looking to catch somebody doing something wrong. That's actually that's the totally wrong mindset. You want to try to catch people doing things right and, and compliment those. You know, now... I don't know about you, but when I was in college and I was coming up, honestly, people had to look hard for me to find something I was doing right. You know, they'd like, oh, Neil, your socks matched today. That's good. You know, I mean, it's things like that. I mean, it was just hard, you know. And what you do, though, if you began to do that, you do someone a disservice by not being honest and helping them with an area that needs to be corrected. You know, um, you just, you, you actually, you actually, you know, just allow the problem to continue on and allow it to linger. Mm-hmm. And what you want to do, if you're a real friend, then you want to have enough care and love for the person that you're willing to be honest with them. And men and women, what I would tell you is this. Um, most of the time, two thoughts I would have, and, and then I'll, I'll turn it to the guys, but two thoughts I would have is this. Most of the time when we don't want to correct someone, it's not because we don't see something there that, you know, boy, this is going to be a problem for them. It's just we would prefer them to like us mm. rather than do well. So as long as they like us, we really don't care if they're going over a cliff. You know, we think we'll plan a nice funeral for them at the bottom, and it'll be fine. But if you really care for somebody, then you think, you know what? Even if they get crossways with me for this, I need to love them enough to tell them. And then the whole thing about, you know, receiving correction, you ought to tell yourself, you know, uh, the, the ones that people don't want to correct are fools. You know, Proverbs says, you know, you correct a fool and he'll hate you. You know, well, you know, but if you, if you correct someone that has understanding, boy, I mean, they really appreciate it. And so if someone comes to you and says, hey, I wanted to talk to you about something, and they bring something up. You should have a grateful attitude. Thank you for thinking enough of me to bring this up, to correct me. Because most of the time, you know, we're like, oh, no, 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 you know, that's not, I'm not, I'm not exactly like, you know, we kind of argue about everything, you know. I mean, James 1, 119, he says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Mm. You know, what we tend to do is something like this. Like if Melinda comes up and says, hey, here's a problem. What do I, what do, I do? Do I say, let me pull up a chair that you may instruct me more fully. Um, I obviously, no, I don't do that. No, 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 that's not right. I'm not, no, I see over here it's like this and no, it's like this. And what do I do? I start talk, 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 you know, and I start arguing, you know, and, you know, if you get angry, what do other people do? They kind of back off and you're like, oh, see, there, okay. But that's exactly the opposite of what you want to do. Someone comes up, you ought to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. Mm-hmm. 
really, really taking it in. So, guys, what have you found uh, with correct, giving correction and, and receiving correction um, in helping people to do that and, and helping them get on board with that? What have, you, uh, what have you found to be helpful there in that regard? I've had a lot of Oh, go ahead. I, uh, I, uh, I, I, I stole the line from Dawson Trotman. Uh, I heard a, a talk by him on, on tape years ago, and he was talking about this area. He said, you know, a lot of times when he'll challenge someone or rebuke them, he'll say, uh, because I, I love you so much, I'm willing to risk our relationship to share with you something that desperately needs attention. <laughs> and I've used that with a, with a number of people. Because I love you so much, I'm willing to risk my relationship with you to share with you something that desperately needs attention. And uh, I, I remember uh, back when... I was in college. Max took about four or four or five of us out to this ranch to spend the night and be in the Word together and be in prayer together. And so on Sunday morning, he was asked to come uh, give a, a message, a Sunday message, this little dinky church. There were about 15 people, a young pastor and his wife, and he had a couple of two small children. They invited us over to his house for lunch. So we went over, and she had fried chicken in this plate. And so, of course, they let us go through first, and we filled our plates and everything, and we ate, and then we went back to the brute, the, the ranch, back to the ranch for a little bit, and Max said, hey, guys, come over here. And so we came over, sat down. He said, I want to share with you something. And he asked the question. He said, did you all notice how much chicken was left for the family after you guys went through and filled your plate? Of course, we had no clue. And uh, we were loving the chicken. But he said, you know, who, what was left for that family were two backs and one wing for the, the four in their family. And so he talked to us about being aware, being alert, uh, being, you know, and, and just knowing what the situation is. And, you know, ever since then, that was in probably 1969, ever since then, if I ha have the opportunity to go through a line and, or I'm at someone's house for dinner, I, I figure out how many people are there and how much food is available and adapt my, my moving through the food line or, or getting servings off of a off a plate, uh, and it all was because Max was willing to say, hey, we need attention in this area. And he wasn't mad. He was just saying, look, guys, this, this if you want to walk with God and be a blessing to people, you've got to be alert and aware of what's going on around you. I would uh, think and it's been my experience, that most people won't help. They want to be better. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and I often, I almost always correct what I call trends. Hmm. If I see a flaw in somebody's life, he says something that's kind of crude. I note it. Uh, probably don't do anything. But if he does it again, then I note that. And, and uh, I usually wait till I have at least three illustrations mm-hmm. of the flaw <clears throat> that has evidenced itself before I go to him and, and to talk to him about it. Because I learned that a man cannot correct what he cannot see. Mm-hmm. And so I want him to see it. I want him to, to, and so I'll give him illustration after illustration after illustration. You never know the reaction, but I assume that men want to be better, that they want to be uh, more as to who God would have them to be. They, they, they want to be a better man. And so I, I, I will go to him. And I, I remember I want, went to one, and this was probably my best friend, really a good guy, and I liked him. <clears throat> But he had, uh, there was a half-heartedness about him. There were some things that he would do just to get by. And I noticed it. And I went by, I knew it was a character trait that he <clears throat> needed to deal with. And so he and I took a, I, I told him one night, I said, can I, you and I take a ride? I said, a couple of things I need, I'd like to chat with you about. So he gets in the car and we start driving and we drive real slow, kind of around the town. We're not going anywhere. And I share it with him, and I go through all three of the illustrations. Well, after about the first illustration as to what I was talking about, he got silent. He didn't say a word. And he sat over there listening, didn't say a word, looking straight ahead. And I went through the second illustration and how he had done this and I had, and the reaction to it and what I had seen. And then I went to the third illustration, and he all this time he's not saying a word. And I took him, uh, finally I took him to his, to his home, and I pulled up to the front, and he said, uh, I said, uh, uh, you know, praying for him, praying, praying for you, friend. He said, okay. And he just got out. I honestly didn't know if I'd ever see him again. Hmm. Uh, he went in his house. But you know, the next morning, about 6 o'clock, I had just gotten up. I was in there reading my Bible, and I hear this knock on the door. And I looked at my wife, and I, are you expecting anybody? No, no. So I go to the door, and it's him. And he's there in his business suit going to work. He's got tears coming down both cheeks. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he says, uh, he said, what you shared last night? He said, I didn't sleep a wink last night <clears throat> because what you shared was exactly true. And I saw it, and I saw how ugly it was. And he said, I didn't sleep a wink. And he said, I just want you to know <clears throat> that I'm, uh, I, I'm, I, I don't want to be that way. I, I don't want to be that way. So we chat just, he's got to go to work, so he leaves and goes to work. <clears throat> About uh, 5.30 that afternoon, I'd just gotten home from the campus, knock on the door. Uh, you expect anybody? No. And, I, and it's him. <laughs> it's him. He's got on his suit. He's, he's crying again. And he says, man, I, I couldn't work today, Harley, because I, I kept thinking about that. I want to be a different man. Mm. I want to be a different man. So, but you don't know. But you assume that all men want to be a better man. They want to be better. I'm assuming that most women, they want to be a better, mm-hmm. they want to be a better gal, a better woman. But Proverbs 27.6 won't let me off the hook. And it says, Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Mm-hmm. 
And I asked myself, when's the last time that you wounded somebody that you love? So one of your dear friends, and you wounded him, and you knew you were wounded him. When's the last time that's happened? But I can't avoid that. That verse is in the Bible. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. And if I am sweet to him and talk to him and just blow it off and I don't even recognize, I never bring it up, I'm his enemy. I'm his enemy. The Bible tells me if you let him go on with these obvious flaws and you never help him with them, you're his enemy. But if you wound him, you're a faithful friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Proverbs 27, 6. But, uh, That's a good one. Yeah, there's another verse that says, He who rebukes a person finds more favor than he who flatters with the tongue. And or actually, the verse says, he who rebukes a person will afterward find more favor. Hmm. And so not initially necessarily. It may take a while. It may take a long time. But afterward, we'll find more favor. Yeah, but watch the trend. Be careful. It's a, it's a real flaw. It's not just a mistake he made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's different. It, no, this is a character flaw. So watch for the trends. Yeah, that's great. That's a really good word. You know, guys, the the next one is one that um, <clears throat> is you are committed to maintaining clear relationships. And what that means really is that, you know what? You don't let things come between you and someone else that you don't clear up. You know, as far as it depends upon you, you are at peace with people. You you work to clear things up. And, and I'll just tell you, one of the places where this is really going to um, um, come to fruition in your life is going to be in family. That's going to be one of the huge places. You're also going to find it at work. Um, but I, I know guys that, I mean, they'll, they'll get crossways with somebody, and they'll just be like, I have other friends, and they just don't relate to that person anymore. Then they get crossways with somebody else. And they don't relate to it. Before long, they have whole sections of the country they just can't go back to because there's so many people they don't get along with there, you know. And you ought to make it your goal that no matter where you are and who you run into, you have worked to keep that relationship clear all the time. And so, you know, I know that like in my family growing up, I, I grew up in a, um, excuse me, I grew up in a home um, that wasn't Christians uh, there. And, and um, you know, it would be kind of like this. If somebody did something, then, you know, people would kind of walk around and they'd get kind of quiet or something. People would get kind of mad or they'd get crossways or something. Then everybody would go to bed and they'd wake up and they'd act like it was a new day. Mm-hmm. Nobody ever cleared anything up. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was normal until I got married. And uh, let me tell you, you know, here's the thing. You get married, and you know what? My wife grew up in a similar kind of background. And I think, what is the problem with her? Why doesn't she clear things up? And she would look at me and think, what is the problem with him? Why didn't he clear things up? And then one day, I'm sitting there thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? Maybe going to bed and waking up, maybe that makes a difference for right now. And maybe that makes a difference for the future if, you know, something's really corrected. It still doesn't handle the past. Mm. And so what happens is 
you know, you've got hurt after hurt after hurt that begins to build up in relationships. And, you know, all of a sudden one day you come in, you just say something like, and it blows everything. You think, what happened? Well, it's because there was a whole lot of dynamite being stuck under the bed all the time, you know, and you come in and just sit on the bed and it blows everything sky high. And what you've got to do is you've got to clear things up. You know, you've got to go to the person, acknowledge things for what they are, and be willing to clear them up. And if you look at Matthew 5, 23 and 24, or Matthew 18, uh, 15 through 17, the thing that you'll see is this. Whether you're the one who's offended or whether you're the one who's the offender, whoever noticed it, you need to go and clear it up. You know, the, the, the responsibility is on you. You know, you, you want to do that. You want to make sure things get cleared up. And if you don't, guys, honestly, um, that, that, will, that will destroy relationships over time. I mean, you, you will find out. You know, Bob was talking, um, well, actually, you know, this morning and last night about the need for relationships with folks you go through life with. You will not have people like that mm -hmm. because people will not travel with you through life. If you don't clear up relationships, you, you will find that you, you know, you'll have a lot of short time friends, but if you want friendships that last over the years, you've got to be willing to do that. Yeah. Fellas. Sandy and I have had an incredible amount of practice. Her listening to me saying, I'm so sorry. Will you, for, will you forgive me? That's like the most used, uh, line in our house sometimes. But, uh, you know, that simmering under the table kind of stuff. Yeah, I, my parents were the same way. They, they would have an argument, and, it and then within a day or two, it was if the argument didn't happen, it would just kind of wouldn't be addressed or talked about. There's a verse in James uh, 5.16 that says, Confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, it's hard to misinterpret that verse. And uh, I, I think that if that could be, I, I, I don't think many churches or many families, many Christian organizations has that as a culture of the ministry. And I, I was talking to Robbie Nutter about that four or five years ago about the culture there. They thought to do a lot of wonderful things. We were saying, you know, but there's just not that culture of confession. And, you know, if we could pick up on that being a part of our culture, the part of the aroma that comes from our lives that we don't want to have, we always want to have short accounts, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if this fits or not, but there are three levels of relationships. Uh, everybody has peers. I mean, everybody has superiors, people that you view as, as superior to you. It may be a professor, or it may be somebody at your work, your boss, or but, but there's certain people. This guy is smarter than I am. He's more, he's more, uh, has a higher position than I do, but he does a better job than I do. But you regard him as a superior. Mm. Then there are others that you regard as subordinates. This guy is just, you know, he's, not educated. He's low pay. He's uh, 
he, he's just a, he, he's just not in my same class. I'm not saying that bad, but he's not in my. He's subordinate to you in your mind. He's subordinate to you. Then there's then there's our uh, our peers, people that are just equal to us, and we view them as just you know about the same educational level, same uh, occupational uh, uh, standards or you know abilities, uh, and we just kind of view them as a peer. They're our buddies. And so there's subordinates, and there's peers, and there's and there's superiors. But when the Apostle Paul, uh, I just did a completed a study on the book of First Thessalonians. Love First Thessalonians. What a phenomenal! It is how to complete the how to do the Great Commission. I mean, paint by the numbers. <laughs> it is just so step by step. This is how you fulfill the Great Commission. It is a phenomenal book. But when Paul comes into town, he and Silas and Timothy, he didn't know a soul. And he begins to minister in the marketplace, and people begin to respond. And But Paul calls them brothers. From the get-go, he calls them brothers. And I circled how many times he referred to these people, these new converts. And here is the Apostle Paul, who has been in the very, who's been in the highest of heavens and spoken to Christ himself, and, been, and, and, and the Apostle to the Gentiles, personally selected by Jesus, I mean, he is the stud of all studs, and he walks in the town, and he calls these new believers that he just met in the marketplace. He's a cobbler, and this guy over here is a carpenter, and he calls them brothers. He never calls them anything else but that, brothers. And so I, don't, I, I thought to myself, you know, Paul doesn't have anybody he considers a, a, a superior. He doesn't have anybody he considers a subordinate. They're all just peers. They're all, we're all brothers. And I think that attitude helps me. To, uh, to, to, I don't form opinions and I don't form hindrances to my relationships mm. because I don't view people except they're, mm. we're just, I'm not anything. I'm out here. I'm the speaker. Okay, so you guys, you know, call me Mr. Med. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm 80 years old. I have a little respect. You know, I have, no, I'm just one of you. I'm just one. Hey, we're all believers following the Lord Jesus, doing the best we can, and so thankful for his grace. Mm. And we're all just brothers. So it just uh, it, it that attitude, I think, keeps from developing uh, relationships that are soured. Mm. That's a very good word. You know, guys, the last one, we'll wrap up this and then we'll see if you have questions. Uh, the last one's just on following spiritual leadership within scriptural guidelines. Now, here's here's the thing. Um, there's a couple of attitudes I've seen with this sometimes. I'll, I'll see people and they'll say something like, you know, well, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, he may have said that or, you know, uh, she may have said that. You know, that, they told me, you know, I ought to do this. But, see, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, you know. And you start thinking, okay, you know, you can do that. I mean, you're 21, weigh 100 pounds. You can do what you want to do. But here's the thing. Why in the world do you think God gives leaders? I mean, God gives leaders because there's an objective to be accomplished. You know, if, there was, if all you were doing was hanging out, there'd be no need for leaders. And what you see is when you look over and over in Scripture, God gives leaders. You know, Daniel 4.25, the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of man. He gives them to anyone he wishes. God is the one in charge of leadership. God is the one who puts leaders in place. So I just got through, I'm, I'm in the middle right now of Deuteronomy. Just got through reading through Exodus and stuff. And 
One of the things that comes out over and over when these people began to oppose Moses and they began to oppose Aaron, in fact, even at one point, Aaron and his sister opposed Moses. But, you know, when they're opposing him, you know, God says, they're not opposing you. They're opposing me. Mm. Because when they chose to, to, you know, to just go against leadership, you know, what they're doing is they're, they're saying, you know what? I, I don't think God knew what he was doing here. Actually, what you're saying in that is, you know what? I think God's view of reality is not quite as accurate as my view of reality. And so I'm going to go with mine. And so you, you want to be crystal with what you're saying when you, when you choose to do things like that. And, you know, here's the other thing I see, though. Guys will say, well, you know, I, I, I think I'm a good, I think I, I, I'm good at following. I think I'm a good follower. Well, here's how you know. If the leader goes right and you really thought you ought to go left, do you go right or do you go left? See, it may have been that you thought you were good at following, but you just happened to be going the same direction over the years. And how you really know if you follow is what do you do when he turns a direction you weren't planning on going? Now, I will tell you this. Um, the reason it says following spiritual leadership within scriptural guidelines, there's a reason for that. I mean, you know, like if I walk in today and I say, hey, Kaleo, um, really? Green? I mean, really? I mean, honestly, it's bad color for you. From now on, Kaleo, don't ever wear green. I mean, you know, and he goes, well, you know, Neil's a leader. I guess I'll never wear green. No, that's stupid. I mean, I don't have any right to tell him anything about what color shirt he's wearing, you know. I like the green anyway, Cleo. But, I mean, you know, I don't have, you know, that's, that's not something I do. But, I mean, you know, if it's something like a leader says, hey, you know, guys, I think we're going to go this way. Then what you need to realize is, okay, God's placed him in charge. Now, can, can you have opinions on that? I mean, yeah. I, there's a guy that, I mean, I have done ministry with for a number of years and like one time he's talking about something and he says oh, okay here's what I think we're going to do this we have this, he was rolling out kind of this evangelistic thing we we're going to do and I'm I'm listening to it you know I'm there with some other guys and so after it was over you know I I come he and me goes you know hey bro what did you think about this and I said okay um here's the deal I want you to know if you decide this is what we're going to do I will be at the front of the pack and I will do this with everything in me, and I, I, I will follow this. But I said, um, and if this doesn't fall apart, if this does fall apart, it wasn't, I'm not going to say this was your idea. Like, what in the world were you doing? I said, this will have been our idea, and it fell apart. I want you to know I am with you. I'm going to do that. Having said that, I don't think this is a good idea. <laughs> And he goes, why? And so I tell him, I think if we do that, you know, um, we're, I think we're training people wrong in this thing. I think it's going to lead them wrong over here. I think they're not going to appreciate this. And so he says, I'll take that in consideration. So, okay. So um, he did. Anyway, the long and the short of it is, you know, um, it didn't go real well. I, I did lead at it. I mean, I gave it my very best, thinking I could well be wrong. Who knows? And so I gave it my very best, and it didn't go well. And, you know, after that, what I found out was we would start to go into something. He would say, I need to know, do you have any thoughts on this, really? Because I'd like to know going in. And I think, okay, because what he knew was I'm committed to following. Um, I mean, God's made you leader. He hadn't made me leader. You know, that's not my stewardship. It's yours. 
So I'm following you, but, you know, you want to give people the ability to express things to you. You know, and I think if you're following somebody, you know, just let them know you're on board to follow. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that um, you may have some concerns. And then go ahead and actually follow. So, guys, what would you, what would you say to this point right here? Hebrews, by the way, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them as those who keep watch over your soul. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. That's good. You know what? You can follow in such a way that you don't get any credit for it because you make it a pain on the person that's leading you. So when you follow, you want to follow in such a way that it makes it a joy for the leader. That when the leader sees you coming, he's like, oh. But he sees you coming, he's like, yeah. You know, so. That's good. Just to follow up that, there's a verse, First uh, Samuel 14, 6 and 7. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan said to the young, uh, and, and Jonathan said, come, let us to, his, to the young men that bear his armor. Come and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there's no restraint to the Lord to say by many or by few. So here's Jonathan suggesting to his armor bearer that the two of them attack the garrison. (laughs) You think, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. But the next verse, and his armor bearer said to him, turn thee, behold, do all that is in your heart. Turn thee, behold, I am with you according to your heart. And so his armor bearer says to Jonathan, if that's what you want to do, let's go. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, that, but that, that's, that, you know, that's, uh, that's an illustration of, you know, you're that's the leader. You're the leader. You want to do it? Let's go. I'm with you. Yeah. Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. First mm-hmm. Samuel 14, 6 and 7. That's a, I think one of the challenges from a leader's perspective is do we really hear the people under us? And, uh, you know, as a leader, I've been in that role for 55 years or so. I don't push people around. You know, I, I remember I led a group to China, and it, the stakes were incredibly high there. Uh, we were the first gr- uh, uh, Western group into this large city, and as far as we knew, there were no believers on the campus. So the stakes were really high. We were under a microscope. And, you know, I remember telling them, you know, there's going to be times in this next seven weeks that I'm going to just have to make the call on things. And uh, as much as, you know, some things where we eat that night and, you know, different things, you know, we are welcome to discuss it, and your idea is as good as mine. But sometimes I'm just going to have to make the call and wanted to be sure y'all were okay with that. And I kind of set the, the ground rule before we got started, and we had an incredible summer, and they were okay with that. But uh, I think in this day and age, you know, I, in some ways I think it's harder to be a leader because... Uh, you know, there's all, you know, all the, the push for equality, which is certainly needed in so many areas, but it can snuff out uh, a leader's role uh, and, and, you know, people react to them and someone just has to lead. It's just the way it is. Sandy and I, we, we have a great marriage and it's very 
equal in, in, in almost every way and very few times over the last 52 years would I say, you know, no, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think we need to do this. I mean, we could, I could count those on two hands probably where I, where I, I do that, but I'm, I'm initiating things and uh, I encourage her along to, you know, what, what, why don't we do this? But seldom ever does she say, no, I think we should not do this. And I say, no, I think we should. And so we're going to do it. And, and so if you have a relationship of love and grace to each other, this doesn't come up very often, these clashing of the things, at least not in my experience it hadn't, because they know, they trust me to lead, and it's not like there's a, uh, you know, a, an issue every time a decision is made. But if you're a kind of leader that's pushing along and shoving people in a, in a certain doorway, uh, you're going to have problems with it. Yeah, the... Uh... Husband, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave him up for her. But wives, submit yourselves to your husband as unto the Lord. The only time that a woman ever struggles in submitting to her husband is when they disagree. As long as they're in agreement, no problem. You want me to follow you? Well, I agree with what you're doing. No problem. The only problem comes is when you disagree. And uh, and so, but that's true in every faith. That's true at work. That's true in ministry. And the only time that you have a problem following your leaders when you disagree. Mm-hmm. So when you disagree, you got to ask yourself, what's the issue here? And if they're asking you to do something that is sinful, you know the vote the vote is in. You know I am not doing that, and I will not do that. Mm-hmm. I will not submit. You're asking me to do something that God would be displeased with. I will not do that. Mm-hmm. But if it's an issue of just of uh, personality, or if it's an issue of just a conference, uh, a conference or what preference? Yeah, just pre- you're my personal preference. Then uh, you, then that's when you have to back and check: Do I have the Do I have the right to resist? It's simply a, a preference, a personal preference. Do I have the right to make this an issue? And that's so you have to kind of you have to once you the only time it comes up is when there's disagreement. But when there's disagreement, you got to ask, what is the issue? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And guys, I'll tell you what: the more you, uh, the more you live these out, <clears throat> and the more you make these just part of the culture in which you live, the more what you find it's just a real joy to do ministry with each other. It's a real joy to do life together. I mean, um, it, it, it's it's really. It, it'll be something that you really, really um, love and appreciate. So I, I would encourage you to look at those. We've got just a couple of minutes. Let me uh, ask questions that you have from anything here that uh, you want clarity on. Romano. Yes, yeah, so, um, and I'll speak up a little bit, Bob, for what you had mentioned. <laughs> so, you know, for any of us who have been involved in ministry for any capacity for a number of years, you know that people are constantly coming to you with maybe problems or I need help with this or I have this idea can you help me fulfill this and play a part here and so as I'm looking at the first hard attitude putting the goals and interests of others above your own how do you balance that with saying no at the proper times you know and the last thing to mention is 
one man who is from the Northeast like me, who I, I really admire, Howard Hendricks. Yeah. He, he gave this message about, you know, he was at home playing with his kids. Mm-hmm. And this guy calls him, hey, come speak at our church. He's like, no, I'm busy. And he's like, well, what are you doing? He's like, I'm playing with my kids. And he's like, well, come speak at our church. What are you doing <laughs> playing with your kids? So, you know, how do you, in a wise way, figure out when to properly set a boundary and say no? Well, part of it is your own capacity and what you need uh, at the time. And it's just a philosophy like uh, when I was in campus ministry, so many of my evenings were taken. And so I would be more free in the morning. And I protected those like crazy. And if someone wanted to meet, you know, let's say they had a serious, they felt they had a serious problem. And, you know, I would ask them, I remember this, learned learn this from Max, said, well, how long have you been struggling with that? Oh, I've had three or four months. And say, well, you know, you've been struggling with it so long. How about meeting Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock? And in, in the meantime, I want you to look at this passage, and I want you to be praying about our time together. So there's not too many incredible emergencies. There are a few, but, um, and, yeah, you, you need to, you know, figure out what your capacity is, what your responsibilities are, and for you guys, work, uh, school, uh, parents, friends, ministry, and, you know, you have to look at the picture and see you know, before God, what can I do and what shouldn't I do? I think, though, if you're committed to, you know, like a ministry, um, that's a high commitment. And, and part of it is not just to do that particular ministry, but it's also you need to learn to be under someone. And a lot of you, you know, a lot of people, not necessarily you all, have never really learned that heart attitude of being under someone and that's so critical yeah you've got to really look at uh, you've got to really look at priorities and things like that a lot of times Romano you've got to figure out okay mm-hmm. you know what's uh, because you know at one point Jesus is talking to people and he says they're talking about you know this could have been the poor he said the poor you will have with you always and mm-hmm. what you're going to find is you know what same things through a ministry People with problems you will have with you always. You know, I mean, it's just going to be part of it. So if you just go around putting out fires all the time, you know, what you find is the people that really suffer for that are like your family. And the people that really suffer for that is, are, are you. You know, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to take a step back and, you know, work on some other things and not just work in it, but work on it. So... Other questions? We've got time for maybe one or two more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a question on <clears throat> the fifth heart attitude. So I know obviously you don't follow like a leader who tells you to sin, but is that the only biblical like guideline or like just if they're telling you to sin or is there another just obey and submit no matter what as long as it's not sin? Okay. When Daniel was uh, and his buddies Meshach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were captives to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, they selected them to undergo certain treatments uh, or certain uh, training. And uh, 
So they came, they came to Daniel and they said, but Daniel uh, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat or, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he uh, basically suggested to the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So they came and said, we want you to do these activities. We got, you got to learn the language. You got to learn their customs because we want you guys to be go-betweens between the Babylonians and your people so that you can explain to your people the Babylonians and explain to us your people. But, uh, and you guys are the go-betweens. So we got to train you in the Babylonian culture so that you can be able to do that. So you're going to learn this language, learn these habits, learn this, these skills, and eat this meat and drink this wine. And Daniel said, uh, I can't do that. So what he did, and I got the term from Bill Gothard, he, he created, he, he, he uh, developed a creative alternative. So when you go to your, your boss man says, I want you to do this, and you think, man, I don't want to do that. And I can't think of any sin, but I just don't think it's right. So you go back to him with a creative alternative. I don't feel comfortable doing that. But I can do this. This will get the job done also. But can I do it this way? Mm. And so it is up to you to come up with like Shadrach, Meshach. And so he goes to him and says, listen, you know, this, this stuff that you want us to eat, I don't really think it will be healthy. But if you will test us, I'll tell you what do. Let us eat vegetables and drink water for the next two weeks and then take a look at our appearance. That was a creative alternative. And the guard, the guard uh, that was in charge of them, he was putting his life on the line because if they turned out gaunt mm. and weak and ugly, it was his life because he let them do that in disobedience to the king's order. So he says to him, he said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go there. I'll try that. And they did it and it worked and, and worked beautiful. But that he came up with, Daniel came up with a creative alternative. And I like that term. Mm. But the ball is in your court. You have been told to do something you don't feel comfortable with. I'm not, I can't say it's sin, but I just don't think that would please God. And so you come back and say, listen, I don't, I don't feel comfortable doing that. But I will do this. This will get, you want the job done? This will get that job done. Maybe better. Would it be okay if I do it this way? And you come back with a creative alternative. And that's, that, that's, that's how we, that's, that's up to us. That ball is in our court. And you know, the real, the real key to that is, you know, what he mentioned there at the end. Would that be okay? You know, I'll tell you what, uh, Leroy Imes, this guy Chuck used to work with, you know, one of the things Leroy used to say is there, there is no relationship worth, with a superior apart from obedience. You know, you, you just don't have that. So, like, if you have a boss, if you have a leader, if you have something, and you're like, you know, hang it on your beak. I'm not going to do what you say. Well, you know, you're not going to have a good relationship there. It's just not going to flow. So what you want to do is you want to have a relationship where you're saying, you know, I respect your leadership. I want to follow what you have to say. You know, maybe maybe this would be an idea. It, would it be okay? Would it be okay? And And that way you move the thing forward. You know, that's I think over the years, what I've seen is if you let them know, I want to follow you, I trust what you're saying, I'm just not sure this is the best way. But I mean, if you say it, we'll do that. But you know, this, they'll generally listen. Especially, guys, the further you go in the kingdom, see, a lot of times when we think of leaders, we think of spiritual leaders, we think, oh, somebody's going to be abusive. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, now you look around, you see 
how, how these guys like to lead. They love to lord it over you. He said, not so with you. But he who would be first among you must be your slave. He would, who would be head over all must be the slave of all. Mm. And so we don't want to we don't want to walk around with a mindset of trying to lord it over people. I mean, that's not that's not what a, a a leader does. That's that's really walking with Christ. What he's doing is he's leading by serving. He's leading by you know, mm-hmm. and and don't get confused on that either. And think okay, that means you know the guy's walking around picking up all the trash. Well, maybe some if it needs to be done, but you're serving by fulfilling the role that God's given you to do. That's how you serve well. Mm-hmm. You know, you go on a plane. And, and, you know, you don't think the pilot is really, man, he is a great leader if he gets up and walks back there and starts passing out drinks to you. I mean, you don't go, oh, man, what a servant leader. You think, dear God, we're going to die. Get back. I mean, you know, he's serving well by doing what he's supposed to be doing, flying the plane. And that's what a leader does. A leader, if a leader is supposed to be leading, he doesn't do well by shining everybody's shoes. When what he's supposed to be doing is leading. Mm. He does well by leading well. And so, you know, you want, you want to always make it a joy. Let me tell you what. Leadership is not, it is not what we tend to romanticize it. Mm. I mean, leadership, really what it is in its essence is responsibility. And there is a weight to leadership mm-hmm. that every one of these guys right here, I guarantee you, there is a weight to leadership that you feel. And there's so, if you're a young buck and you haven't been in leadership, you know, you can kind of think, oh man, if I was a leader, once you get to be the leader, you find out that's not what I thought it was going to be. It seems an awful lot like work and responsibility. And you need to remember that when you're following and you need to think, how can I help make it, you know, a joy for them? How can I take some of the pressure off, not add more pressure to? Well, we're out of time, and I know you got to get down because.